Welcome to PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. We are recording from HR Tech in Vegas, brought to you by our friends and partners at Fuel50. Here's your host, Mark Pfeffer. Welcome to PeopleTech, the podcast of the HCM Technology Report. I'm Mark Pfeffer, and recording again today at the Expo Hall of the HR Technology Conference and Exhibition. And with me is Russell Clark. And Russell, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself. I'd be happy to. Um, so I am a managing director with Accenture's um, talent and organization practice. I am client-facing, so I build solutions for Fortune 1000 companies. And my primary area of focus is around workforce planning, HR analytics. Um, and the execution arm of all of that stuff is, of course, around the talent strategy, whether it's recruiting, learning, succession planning, leadership development, et cetera. It, so what have you seen here at the show that's really gotten your attention? I'm going to go outside of the vendors for just a second, and I'm going to say it feels like this switch that's been coming for about 10 years in the profession to a data-driven profession where the analytics inform whether it's recruiting or any of the other functions, feels like we finally got there, whether it's the vendor solutions or just the way that people are talking about it. Um, one of the things that it appears happened during the pandemic is that small percentage of HR professionals that were never going to make the pivot to a more strategic and data-driven profession, retired, moved on, I don't know. And, um, and, the, and the next generation of leaders, the, the ones that are here and the vendors that are offering solutions to them, regardless of which vendors they are, the talent marketplaces, the, the recruitings, um, you know, ATS systems, the, the core systems, all of them start the conversation, which is, this is the data we can get you to, these are the kind of analytics we have, and then these are the kind of solutions that it gives you. And as a workforce planning guy, it like warms my heart, right? Because it's about what skills when, and what does the person have to look like, and then we can back into all of the other things. You know, skills is, is I was gonna say, skills is a funny topic, but um, I've heard it said that you can borrow skills, you can buy skills, or you can build skills. I would agree with that. I would say depends on the skill. You can automate them too. Not, not there's still plenty for the humans to do. But, um, but the stuff that was repetitive, or the stuff that was dangerous, right? If you run mines, who wants to be the guy putting the dynamite in the mine? Um, so, uh, so from true robotics to to RPA and machine learning and some of these things, I can do. I take the simpler skills away, I upskill people, which gives them greater career opportunity and it gives them higher salaries and so it's a win-win. Um, they look different, but um, I think there's a, a, a core focus on it's not about the jobs, it's about adaptability and it's about the ability to pick up new skills and to enhance the ones that you have. And then what we've seen, whether it's our friends where we're sitting here at Fuel50 or you know, all of their competitors and others, is we've seen this ability to use AI to get away from that here's what I think I'm good at and my boss agrees or disagrees with me survey mechanism and we're using AI to get after what do I really know and what don't I really know and maybe it's not perfect but to what depth do I know it and then from there the learning or if I can't teach it and I need to find new workers the recruiting like I said before you can back into it right it, it'll give me a number and now I need to go hire 300 people and I need to hire 25 this quarter and 100 next quarter and I know what they're going to look like right I can go looking for profiles based on the skills as opposed to someone that looks like me or, or if I'm overemphasizing the other way, someone that doesn't look like me. Those are important things, but first they have to be able to do the job. Right. right. You know, 
people talk about AI so much in this business. And has it become kind of a, I don't want to say artificial thing, but everybody's got it. It's table stakes. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pivot the other way. I think we're overusing the term. Okay. Um, I think we're still in the process of training true AI. But what we have gotten to is natural language processing that can convert to data. We've gotten to really good at algorithms that are prescriptive. We've gotten to machine learning, which is not true AI. It's machine learning, but that can scramble through complex equations and spot patterns that not that a human couldn't, but nowhere near the speed um, and, and make it meaningful. Um, and we've certainly gotten to robotic process automation and those type of things. For the true AI where it's voice at the table and it's making decisions the same way a person would, I think we're still training the models, but it's an eyesight now. If you had asked me that question three years ago, I would have said a decade. I don't think it's a decade. I think it's three years, maybe at the outside. doesn't mean it won't evolve past that, but we're also in an age, not for the average company. It's not something they're going to put on their own premises, but I can go buy quantum computing capabilities from AWS. To do true AI, I need some of those things. I don't just need server farms. I need, I need the kind of... I can't just stack my processors. To, to make the AI do what it's going to be capable of as those data sets continue to evolve, I, I, I need a different kind of computing power. And, and I don't need to own it. I just need to rent it when I need it. You know, all of this talk of AI, advanced technology and such, do, um, do workers care? I think what workers care about is, is it a meaningful work environment? Am I engaged? Um, am I doing something that will give me opportunity to grow? Do I fit with the culture here? So do they care that it's the AI that helped them go through the recruiting algorithms so that they fit with the culture? No, but they care if it got it right or not. Um, the bigger question to me is, are they willing to trade, and I don't know the answer to this one, but are they willing to trade some degree of their privacy for what that bespoke experience might be? Because what, what, what the technology has done, am I too far away? Yeah. Um, what the technology has done at this point is um, it's gotten to the point where where is the line between creepy and not creepy on what I can find out about someone. And part of that line is what am I willing to give up to get what I really want? And I don't know that we know the answer to that. I think we're all going to fumble with that for another year or two. What, um, I don't know if you've been through the startup I, I walked through, I haven't talked to everyone over there yet. I walked through um, twice so far. I'm working on it still. <laughs> Anything in particular catch your attention? I'm going to say I was hoping for more on the advanced analytics front. I was hoping for more on the employee engagement front because I think those are the bigger areas, especially if the economy is slowing. Um, not that I don't love new recruiting technology, but how many times can you reinvent the wheel? It's still sourcing, screening, selecting. I don't need 40 different new startups. If someone's got a better mousetrap, by all means. But a lot of it looks the same with a different wrapper. Mm -hmm. um, and so the ones that are catching my attention are more on the analytics front. The engagement stuff is really catching my attention. We're going to have a weird experience. Whether we enter a true recession or not, the demographics have caught up, right? Not just because of the pandemic. They were going to catch up anyway. That just accelerated it. But um, there's going to be jobs even through a recession. We've never had that experience before. So what makes me attractive as an employer when everyone's got hiring freezes and I'm just trying to hire specific things? And that to me is about employee experience and employee engagement and productivity and innovation and meaningful work. And so I'm looking for where the software can do those things. 
when you're talking about employment and in the job market, <clears throat> um, going back to skills a bit, I, I wonder, are, are workers as preoccupied with skills as employers are? I don't think employers are preoccupied. I think employers have finally made a shift to, I want your ability to adapt to what's coming next. I want, I want that from you first. So instead of, if I look back two years ago, I need 10 years of experience. I'm going to use an IT example because they're easy examples, but um, <laughs> I need 10 years of experience coding in C sharp. If I was hiring today, I would say a nice to have would be coding in C sharp. I need experience doing DevOps in a fourth generation computer language. But what I really want is your ability to adapt to the fifth uh, generation language that is coming, even though I don't know which one I'm going to want yet. And ultimately, if I look 10 years down the road to the sixth generation language, and none of us know what that's going to look like, but you know, we've, we've gotten to this point where it's moving so fast that I care more about can I upskill you and can you pick it up quickly? And do you have that aptitude to do that? And then a basic set of components underneath it for what I need you to do today. I think the job applicants are still looking at it from a skills point of view, but it's not actually what they're looking for as people. They think they're playing the game the way the game is set up. Of, I need to have these skills to get that job. Um, we're somewhere in the middle of that switch. We haven't made it all the way yet, but, but we're certainly going down that road. Is this, this weird dynamic that you described, jobs in a recession, um, where today it would be like the great resignation, um, how are those impacting all of us. So it's not like we didn't have hybrid workforces before. It's not like we didn't have remote workers before. It came to the masses to some extent. What's interesting to me is, I mean, you can read the newspaper as easily as I can, and all of the sentiment analysis says, I want to be remote. I want this kind of flexibility. I'll quit if you don't give it to me. I don't doubt that's what people are saying, but if you dig the next click down and you go after the, quanti the, the qualitative data, I'm sorry, the quantitative data, not just the qualitative sentiment analysis, what you find is companies that are back in person with flexibility, two to three days a week, six hours on each of those days, and they're getting those in-person interactions, 30, 40% lower turnover, 10 to 15% higher productivity. The innovation will follow that. It hasn't caught up yet. But um, there was this myth in the middle of the pandemic that productivity didn't fall, output didn't fall. If I'm working three hours more a day to produce the same amount of whatever it is I produce, Productivity fell. Right. It just didn't cost me anything, right? right? And so um, I, think, I think that trend will continue and accelerate. I think we're going to see some really cool analytics in the next year or so of, I need John and Jane to be in the office together, not because I need them to meet. I need them to bump into each other in the hallway every now and again because it's those five-minute conversations we lost. I have an idea. Can we spitball this? Right? Where, where real work gets done with all respect to Teams and Zoom and all the rest of them, Decisions get made in meetings. Work doesn't get done in meetings. And we need to do the work. That's what's supposed to happen at meetings. But that's the corporate guy in me. Um, the corporate guy in me says if there's meeting invites and nine people and PowerPoint slides and agendas and meeting minutes, that's not where I'm doing the really meaningful work. It's, it's when I can focus on my own desk for 20 minutes and just sit down and think. Right. right. And I'm a knowledge worker, admittedly, and so I think of it through a knowledge worker's perspective. But... I need those things. I need those informal interactions. I need the, the handshake in the hallway and, hey, I've been thinking about something. You've got a few minutes. We can talk at some point. I can then move that online and I can have a one-on-one, -on -one, but those interactions are all so formal in this fully remote world. And that, 
even even if I go full metaverse and I put on the Oculus and grab the, the goggles and go immersive and everything old is new again and it's second life 10 years later but with better tech, um, I don't replicate it because it's still I was invited to this and here I am as opposed to just the infant. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, my last question for you is when you come back here next year, what do you expect to see that's different? So, for the first time in three years, and I was here last year, this is what it used to feel like. This is, it's not just the people that are motivated to be here. There are decision makers here. There are influencers here. Last year was primarily the influencers that just wanted to be back in person. It was a smaller show for obvious reasons. This is about the size that this was before. I think, I think that will continue. Um, I think we're going to see a little bit more of the VR stuff on the floor next year. So it's not that people aren't talking about it, but but I haven't walked past a booth yet where someone offers to put an Oculus on my head and let me dive into an immersive experience. I think we're going to see that and some of the natural, that natural language processing start to creep forward into the technology that exists already. It's just going to be how do we interface it with it in different ways. Um, we're not far off that, that Star Trek scene where Scotty picked up the mouse and tried to talk to it. <laughs> I think we're going to start to see that as a, as a common experience at some of these booths next year. And then um, the one thing that seems like it's missing here is, I'm going to use the broad term SI, but, but the services, the system integrators, it's, it's all, they're usually here too, and they're not here for whatever reason this week. And I don't know if it's because of the other overlapping conferences that are occurring at the same time or not, but not just my own employer. Like, um, what's here is small usually expect to see the big four represent in a big way and the IBMs of the world represent in a big way and they're here but they're not right? <laughs> so I think we'll see them come back next year too because this versus the the big vendor shows that's a sold audience these people are looking for what else do they need right Russell thanks so much most welcome thank you for having me you've been listening to people tech of the HCM technology report this HR Tech series is graciously brought to you by our partners at Fuel50. For all other HR, sourcing, and recruiting news, check out hcmtechnologyreport.com. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter Podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.